The Bizzle. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Burn the land and boil the sea. You can't take the sky from me. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast commentary for the Firefly television series. I'm here with my buddy, um, Manny G. We've already done the pilot episode one, Serenity, and uh, the second episode, Train Job. So here we are in episode three, Bushwhack. Matt, how do we get here so far? Well... When last we left our heroes, they had uh, run afoul of a bad guy named Niska in an episode that both of us agree is probably maybe the worst the show gets. Still very good because Firefly is awesome. Uh, And now we're starting to get into the the good stuff. Um, Bushwhacked is maybe not my favorite episode, but it's definitely better than anything that came before it. Sure. Uh, and it's a sign of what's to come, I think. Although I will say, um, and Bizzlecast listeners really quickly, Matt and I decided that unlike in my JJ commentary where I don't even do intros and I just start from the beginning, it'd be easier to give you guys context. Uh, Firefly is one of those shows that people love the whole show, but they have in- individual episodes they like more than others. So, you know, we didn't want you to jump in at this episode if this is one of your favorites, for example, and then, you know, not really know that we were already talking about the commentary or whatever. Um, so we are going to do a short intro you know maybe two three minutes and jump in but matt when i was trying out these uh, digital files so that we were synced up better maddie and i had a uh, some some technical glitches on the first two that you will not notice because of my mad editing skills um but uh we, we managed to have the same files here and i was just trying bushwhack for like a minute and it immediately felt more like firefly than the first two episodes like and we'll get to the opening scene with them playing you know uh some sort of ball game uh in the cargo hold but the, the, there's something about the chemistry in this um this third episode where it seems like it's really come together even though not all of the episodes are of the of the same uh quality would you agree with that absolutely you know this is the first really it's almost like lived in quality of it that you we sort of get a sense of the idea that these people live on this ship right Um, i mean you don't get a sense of that necessarily in train job or serenity yeah Yeah, that's a really good point i mean if you just watch a serenity or train job um uh, you can tell that it's serenity and train job but every episode after that if you just see a split second it has that lived in feeling i don't know what the production schedule was like i think that the the dvd order which is what we're going by was obviously closer or or exactly the order of what we didn't want it and how and how he did it maybe we'll get back to that later but yeah this is the first episode where you're like all right we've had the official pilot we've had the unofficial pilot and now we're just jumping into this universe um so uh maddie and i actually decided to sort of divide up the episodes we're both going to be talking a lot on all of them but because you know one firefly episode has more content you know than an entire movie for tons of movies out there (laughs) in 42 minutes it's so hard with the two of us to get everything in i had that problem with jessica jones uh, but with two people you have to coordinate it so i'm going to take the lead on this and then matt for the next couple after that and we're just going to play off each other with our uh, amazing bizzlecast chemistry right buddy 
Exactly. One built over, we decided maybe now upwards of a dozen a appearances or, or something, which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah. I started doing it uh, just like I was on the bus just for fun. I was like, oh, let me go through all the podcasts and start listing in my notes program. All the, I'm like, oh my God, eight, nine, 10, 11. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So thank you again, Matt. So uh, Bizzlecast listeners, this will be time to uh, tune your um, DVDs or uh, digital files or Blu-rays or Netflix or whatever to zero hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. So you ready to go, Matt? Let's get to it. All right. All right, guys. Here we are. Beautiful shot of the serenity. Or serenity, I should say. That, that's yep. a key thing that I screw up a lot. Is And they make a point of in this episode, actually, that it's called serenity, not the serenity. Mm-hmm. Um, this is great world building right here. Uh, and, uh, you know, w- we see the chemistry that the new and old cast have already. You know, this is the beginning of the, I guess, socialization or re-socialization process of River. Here we establish the, um, the obvious sort of friendship between uh, these two characters who are both basically, you know, alliance planet people, right? Right. Uh, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say um, uh, Marina B- uh, Baccarin as um, Inara and uh, and Shamar as uh, as Simon? Exactly. Um, it's interesting, you know, that they are in in a lot of ways the two most cultured people on the planet. They so have the I. most kind of upper class upbringing, or at least yep. Inara un- is the only other one who understands how to operate in an upper class society, and so they have this uh, immediate connection to each other. Yep. Um, and he says something about these aren't civilized rules that I can tell, or, you know, look at the shot on Summerglow, and, and, and Nara says we're far from civilization. Um, but yep. Nara says it lovingly, while Simon says it with some fear and trepidation still. And mm-hmm. he'll never feel totally comfortable in this you know, in this uh, milieu, in this part of the universe. River will, actually. It turns out, you know, as the series goes on with the movie, that this is exactly where she needs to be, away from all the the noise and, you know, like a lot of smart but mentally disturbed people. um, This is kind of the ideal psychological environment when they're not being hunted down, right, and and dealing with Reavers and so forth. Um, So, uh, you know, I I love that they're just playing here. And, you know, this is one of those scenes where Josh just, like, filmed them for an hour, just throwing the ball around, get the sweat going Mm -hmm. up. On, you know, knowing Nathan Fillion and Adam Baldwin, they're probably just tackling people and throwing people all over the place. You can only imagine what goes on behind the scenes. And that is, to me, the best sign of a great show is you want to know what went on behind the scenes, not from like a film nerd standpoint, but just because you can tell they're having so much fun and you want to be a part of that, right? Yeah, there are a lot of moments uh, where in the show where I got the sense that they almost they were improvising little things. Like there's one scene, I don't even remember what episode, where... Mal hugs Kaylee from behind. He kind of puts his arms around her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we didn't even said Fillion improv that little acting thing. And he kept it because it worked so well for yeah. those two characters dynamics in that moment. Yeah. And um, just really quick, cause we'll revisit it. Um, uh, I, I thought Matt didn't love this episode. He just wasn't crazy about the Reaver thing, which we'll talk about later. Uh, me coming from the movie first, as we discussed in the previous episodes, this it's funny, Matt, until you said it, I never even put it together that there weren't more Reaver episodes because I told you I have this like great feedback cycle with the movie and the TV show where right. it all feels like one to me. 
And so the fact that the Reavers don't come back really until the movie I didn't even occur to me. Whereas you watched in, you know, quote unquote, normal order. And so we can discuss <laughs> maybe towards the end about those decisions. I do know, and here's that great opening song that Matt and I both love. Oh, man. Absolutely. Dude, if, I'll, if, you, if you don't have the Serenity soundtrack um, by David, uh, um, what's his face, Newman or something, um, it's, it's unbelievable because it's based on this sound, but it's, you know, but more soundtracky. Anyways, um, so, you know, the Reaver thing worked for me so much when I saw this, having already seen the movie uh, multiple times. And, uh, and Joss has, you know, Joss has claimed, and again, we can only go based on what Joss Whedon has said, has claimed that he always planned for the Reavers to be a big part of season two or three. And he's, as we mentioned earlier, he thought this was going at least two or three seasons. He was already thinking as far as season seven in terms of setting up plot lines. Um, so we'll get back to that, that specific thing. But what I do love about this, Matt, is in the very first like actual episode that's not a uh, you know a pilot or pseudo pilot is like a classic sci-fi space thing. You know, an empty an empty spaceship. It's creepy. It seems like there's nobody there. You don't know what happened right. to them. I mean, this is a major sci-fi trope, but one that I love when it's uh, done well. And as we'll see with the spacesuit uh, gag later, you know, as usual, Serenity uh, or I should say Firefly finds the perfect balance of um, you know following the best parts of the tropes and then also sort of making fun of certain parts of the tropes. If that makes sense. Absolutely, and I also think. And I give Whedon credit for it. This is the only episode of this show, granted out of a total of 14, that really draws heavily also on horror elements. You know, Jesse has described it repeatedly as a zombie episode. Um, And it definitely is scarier on a kind of visceral horror movie level as opposed to sort of the fear you get from the operative or the the men with the blue hands. Right. and I give Whedon credit for trying to bring basically a third genre into a show yeah. that was already a fusion of sci-fi and western. So this episode is a sci-fi horror western, which yep. I don't think anybody has ever tried to do. Um, yeah, I, and he pulls I, it off yeah. for the most part. You know. Yeah, I, I refer to this genre as the the alien artifact or the or the derelict alien ship thing. I mean, Star Trek had at least four or five of these a season, right? But what makes this as good or and better? The Dead Space video game series is is. They could have oh, done yeah. this exact plot. Yep, yep. I just got fact, Dead Space too recently. Cartoon, yeah, I think one of the anime movies they produced out of Dead Space is this: of they find a derelict ship and get attacked by the the Dead Space aliens, whatever it's, they're called. It's so funny you mentioned that, man, because I am not a fan of zombie or horror stuff at all. But when it's Whedon or Ridley Scott, and then the occasional video games, those are the you know when it's done in an artistic way that's mm-hmm. not just meant to scare you but me- meant to stimulate you in other ways oh here we go you could just tell Adam Baldwin's a douche maybe we'll get back to that but it, it informs his character so well um, yep. but uh, yeah I actually never played the Dead Space games although I played other alien invasion type games I did get Dead Space 2 recently uh, which I'm excited about slash scared out of my mind Even like just looking at the <laughs> cover I'm already scared but, um, but, but what makes this as good or better than any other uh, types of television or film that, that deals with this particular subgenre of science fiction is the character stuff i mean Mm -hmm, absolutely you know and and i think one thing we can say is even in the weaker um uh episodes the episodes that aren't as perfect oh here we go (laughs) that's zoe's gun by the way um it's a little it's tiny in jane's big hands um you know even in the train job and and you know maybe the message or or heart of gold so so one of the ones we don't have at the very very top they're constantly building character and it's not reinforcing 
the same things, you know. And this is this isn't a shot at, at other shows we watch, with, you know, like the CW or, or so forth. You know, I love Arrow, but Arrow tends to fall back on reinforcing relationships in ways that we already knew was the case. Right. Um, now Arrow's a hundred episodes in. This is three episodes into a fourteen, you know, episode uh, arc. So it's not really a fair comparison, but um, at least within these fourteen episodes, we're always getting new stuff, right? Like yep. we'll, we'll get to war stories because I want to get back to this i mean this is just great atmospherics here this looks like a movie uh the way they filmed this and you know there's only like three or four sets probably total for this entire thing um mm-hmm. but uh by the time we get to war stories you know gina torres and alan tudyk seem like the perfect couple but when they introduce these problems that they've been having every single one of them makes sense you know yeah i mean they all completely make sense and, and i don't know in the entire series if there's a major character beat from any of the main characters i don't buy including shepherd book who has some writing problems what do you think buddy no i agree with you completely i think we talked about this in one of the two previous commentaries i can't remember which the ways in which all of the character dynamics relate to the dynamics they have with everybody else so mal is jealous of kaylee's ability to have an intimate relationship with inara kaylee is enamored with the lifestyle she perceives Anara as having, but then when she gets a taste of upper-class society, she realizes she doesn't fit in it. Anara does sort of understand and like this more rustic style of life, you know, that she, she sought out, which is why she left Sinan, and it, it works for her. But she has a relationship with, you know, Simon, who has a different relationship with Jane. All these people interact with each other, and it changes over 14 episodes um, yeah and by the time by the time jane in a couple episodes from now is like regularly lifting weights with the shepherd and confessing his sins partially mm-hmm. i mean it's amazing okay so here's the first of summer Glau, um as uh, rivers uh psychic um i don't know what do you call them disturbances like when counselor sure. when counselor troy and star trek gets exposed to like a mind rapist or something like that which, yeah, by the way, I sure. saw that episode on TV the other day randomly. I love that episode where there's that family of uh, telepaths and you think the son, they're setting it up as the son is the one who's raping her in the mind, but it ends up being the dad that, pretending to be the son. Do you remember that one? I don't. Yeah. I, um... But anyways, the point is playing psychic stuff is really hard. And mm-hmm. for my money, uh, Counselor Troy, uh, Deanna Troy played by um, uh, Marina Sirtis. Um, it was Summer Glau here, James McAvoy as uh, Professor X when when it's the right uh, movie. Um, there's a handful that can pull off this constant psych, psych, you know, psychic disturbance in a dramatic right. way that manages to be dramatic and emotional, but not melodramatic and eye rolling ever with River. I don't think. No, I, I uh, <laughs> agree with you for the most part. Yeah. I picked a good place to stop. This is great. Yeah, really. Okay, first time you saw this, I totally remember watching this for the first time and not uh, being with Simon. I did not think this was a gag. I I, I didn't think he was going to die, of course, but I I thought that he had genuine reason to be afraid. (laughs) Well, I certainly, you know, as it's about to be revealed, um, I mean, I'm going to just go ahead and spoil what's about to happen. Yes. As we're finding out right now, this whole bit is unnecessary. See, he sees them all, they're out of suit. Uh, and so we realize he's just been played for fool. Yep. And the, the icing on the cake is when Kaylee said your suits on wrong as he's walking away. Yep. Um, the, the series that does this kind of stuff, the best, I think, yeah. um, after fire, like since firefly 
is uh, Stargate Universe because they're constantly having to, <laughs> to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jade, right. Yeah. Okay, so the question is, well, Mel's, Mel's joke, uh, quote unquote, with Kaylee being dead was way worse than this. I mean, in terms of just being mean, but this was, this was definitely, you know, I mean, this is just Jane being a, a straight up sadist, you know, which, which he is. He, he, he gets pleasure out of other people's pain and he's only there for muscle. Um, but anyway, he himself will grow over these 14 episodes uh, and we didn't yeah. a little and enough that we didn't said one of his regrets with the movie serenity is he felt like how he wrote uh, Jane's character took a step back that Jane uh, yeah. doesn't display some of the range and depth that he had by the by objects in space. Yeah. In the movie, he but just kind of goes back to being hired muscle. I agree, and I've made the point to you and elsewhere that I think after the movie Serenity, he still could go bad at any time despite everything that's happened. They would probably have to kill him or get rid of him, but you know, it, there's that scene in Serenity after he's tried to, you know, sell out the Tams yet again um, when they're on um, Miranda and everyone's dead sort of and no one knows what's going on and there's that amazing spinning shot of river talking in right. chinese and various other things and and yep. crying and they talk about how the crew was oh, here she is they talk about how the crew was like so disturbed by that performance by her the, mm-hmm. and the, 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 like you can just see the cast standing staring at her as they spin the camera you know just because of how spectacular that performance was and jane has that great line which i have a t-shirt of where he goes this girl is damaging my calm and the, and the crew thinks he's saying shut her up but what he's really saying is yeah she's right this is fucked up something's going on here and then at the very end you know he says you know uh, when river uh, when they're fighting the reverse he's like oh girl picked a picked a nice time to go helpless on us you know even jane has to admit her usefulness you know at some point so maybe he does turn a corner up here's the beginning of the the love story Mm mm-hmm I'm not sure it's the beginning. I think it's an early chapter. I think well, her. I guess if we consider this as sort of the first of the main non-piloty episodes, right? The, sure, li- the lived-in episodes, th- that interaction. Yeah. I think what I find, what I don't like about this episode is that this is the third straight episode where the premise is a robbery, and not you know well, serenity. They are, thieves. they are thieves, but they don't rob something. They do in a bunch of episodes, to be fair, but serenity opens with them robbing a spaceship or a dead station. I don't even remember anymore. Train job is about a train robbery. And then this is another robbing a spaceship or, or a, and it, it just felt like the plot was a little bit derivative. You know, it felt like when I watched this, I had seen this premise before and they changed the emotional stakes of it very effectively, but it just felt like I had seen this plot. Maybe they reuse. I mean, the second Christina Hendricks episodes about a robbery. I mean, yeah, no, you're right. Ariel is probably my favorite episode. Ariel's a heist robbery. This is it. This is, you're right. This is most similar to the first episode. This is, this is dead cargo as they call it. You know, this is cargo in deep space. And the only, the reason they run into the Alliance cruiser is just horrible luck. You know, in almost any other circumstance, this would be for people like them who are on the edge and barely surviving. And they think no one, here of course me in their position i would i would rob this place blind because who else is going to find it they're on the edge of nothingness um so to me this is less a heist yeah the train job is the one that's the straight up heist that maybe works the least of all of all the main plot lines because it is a straight up heist but then of course you know like with the first one you know there's a twist with it being rations protein Mm -hmm. rations and the train job it turns out to be medications and so they give that back and this they're forced to give it back i mean they can never keep their cargo Is, is it just an ongoing uh theme 
scheme, but also, you know, trick that, that, that Whedon pulls. Um, so, you know, they never quite get away, which, of course, then forces yep. them to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, they can never, as far as we see on screen, they never sell the Lassiter. Um, they do sell off all the medicine they right. steal from Ariel, but then they have to give all the money to Niska and War Stories. So, uh, yeah, you know, they're not experts at it or, or it never quite works out go. which again feels realistic okay you know? so this is it this is for me what sells the series i know the rivers don't come back but for river to pick this up and walk over barefoot you know and none of them could figure it out till she comes and looks at it she's she's detecting dead bodies so the question is man if there wasn't one guy still living as we're going to see in a minute would mm-hmm. she have still been able to pick that up? She still, and this is something maybe we'll, we'll save her down the road. And I, I try and talk about in my Serenity podcast. Um, oh, right, this is where the guy Jade says the guy's like seven feet tall or something like that. Um, yeah, but uh, which is that the only major major thing that doesn't make sense in Serenity is you know River has some sense of what happened on Miranda because she looked into the uh, the minds of operatives and Parliament members. But what right. did they see? Right? I mean, were they on Miranda? Because it seems like she saw what Sarah Paulson's character saw. But there's in terms of the transference of knowledge, which I'm always talking about in these movies, like what what was River seeing now and then? If you consider this in direct continuity with the movie, which with River, which maybe you can, maybe you don't. But let, let's say for a second that she's already having a sense of Miranda and who and who the Reavers really are. That was something that never quite made sense to me. But again, sold through performance. So I had two thoughts about River. The first is I'm not sure she entirely knows what she knows. She maybe only has some general understanding of there's a connection between the alliance and the reavers and it may not be until she finally sees sarah paulson's hologram on miranda that she understands what the secret is that that burned up her brain uh, to quote mal in uh, that movie i also always got the sense though that what she knew created a sort of psychic link between her and the reavers mm-hmm. so she could sense reaver activity it may even be that the Reavers were so violent that they leave sort of a psychic imprint on the space that they're in, and yeah. she can sense that. What does she so, say? They're made of rage or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my hunch is if this guy were dead, she would still know uh, that Reavers had done this, that she just has some yeah. connection with the Reavers because of this secret. I think you know another great thing that you get with multiple rewatchings of the series and the movie is that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then uh, there's a call back in the movie where river beats him up and 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 now and uh Kawash, like can we go back to the part where jane got beat up by a 90 pound girl because <laughs> that never gets old that never gets old yeah um and then and then jay tries tries to make fun of mal for getting beat up by the operative as, yeah, exactly. as, as if it were comparable point being they tried to trigger river in the first third of serenity through the uh Odie bars commercial which is brilliant but mm-hmm. it totally backfired on them because it was that that ultimately led to her revelation about miranda um right they thought they were going to be able to get her in time to kill her or take her away but you know since they weren't that that's what sort of led to the triggering of it again i think we didn't would have loved to have to spend an entire season with that storyline and you end up shoving it into a movie cattle for the slaughter okay so mal's looking at them dope them okay so at this point man does mal know what's going on here does he realize this guy's a reaver and if so it's never really explained to us how he knows other than he's come across them before right yeah i think he just says i've seen this before um and maybe he 
could have some sort of analogous experience of having gone to war and seen what trauma of war over time does to the did to the people he served with made some of them crazy certainly in the message he meets that general who is just so shell-shocked he believes his arms have been blown off yeah so he maybe can just recognize this kind of creeping madness yeah whether it's the trauma of the reavers or the trauma of war Mm -hmm. um yeah, I think, I think he's got a pretty yeah. good sense of what's going on. I do find it interesting. Yes. Jane says he killed them all. Turns out Jane is wrong. But in that situation, that's a completely uh, legitimate interpretation sure. of what happened. Well, and that that's why when the Imperial officer them. accuses them of the same thing, that's rational exactly. for the officer. Yeah. Although why, why they would, you know, why they would mutilate rape and, you know, tie them up, it does, does not quite make as much sense. Uh, but what I like is, and I stand by what I say, I think we didn't always knew that all, all Reavers were going to be humans. Um, mm-hmm. But it does leave open the possibility that there are Reavers that are aliens, but they can also turn humans into aliens, which again, going to Dead Space and other horror genre and video games and elsewhere is a common theme, which is that you can be, you know, horrible, disgusting, evil alien, but you can also be turned into one through the right you know uh, right. exposure or whatever I, I think Whedon being a horror guy as we've talked about was just playing with a lot of those ideas here I don't think he had settled on it is my my opinion but who knows yeah I don't think Whedon really ever envisioned Reavers as and as aliens I, I think he really wanted a world yeah. a universe where everybody is a a human being so is that what you were thinking another. because you had that experience of seeing this before the movie that were you thinking when you saw this originally do you remember that yeah, like yep all these reaver people are, are i guess we never actually see any reavers until the movie just this guy exactly i um honestly i think the person i might have watched it with i think i asked him so are there aliens in this universe and he said not really yeah um so i i maybe never even really had the chance to really think about it I think it makes more sense for the Reavers to be people. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly if we think about, and I've brought this up before, the idea that these are all types of characters from Westerns translated into science fiction and that the Reavers are the savage Indians, yep. it makes sense to keep them also as people because it does play to the sense of, okay, they're violent and dangerous, but they're also men. You know, they're not unknowable. They're not ununderstandable. Yep. They are like us it's not lovecraft day. yeah it's the opposite exactly. of lovecraft yeah. yeah and even by the end of lovecraft they're they're starting to be able to relate to some of these old gods and and kind of what their approach to the universe was um not at the beginning but you know in mounds of madness they can understand why the old gods are the way they are so so uh, this this episode perfectly epitomizes what i like and don't like about shepherd in the series what I don't like is it's so obvious what his role is going to be here from the first minute this all starts, that he's going to, you know, try and put them to rest and say a blessing for them and be the, you right. know, the overseer and the minister. But it makes total sense. So I can't be angry sure. at it because it makes complete sense. And then when he's the one to convince Mal to take the extra step and help these people you know, have, have rest, Mal claims it doesn't affect him one way or the other. But the, but the crew, like Inara here, you know, she's so impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, look at Kelly. Oh my God, Jewel State. <laughs> that was real pretty, Captain. Oh, 
Yeah, they're all I giving them a hard time about it. That's the thing. That's why I can't be angry because it, it has it builds character for every. That's the thing about book. He's like uh, he's like one of those crazy bumpers in pinball where you hit it and hits everything else. Like you know, mm-hmm. it, it, like all of his decisions end up affecting everybody because even Mal with the with the, uh, the the coldest heart arguably has a colder heart than Jane. Jane's just an idiot and easily manipulated and greedy, but he's kind of a exactly. softy deep down. Mal's sort of the coldest with Zoe for obvious reasons, but the shepherd has a way of of breaking uh, breaking down their defenses i just talked for a while go ahead man i was only going to say that uh, it's interesting i think kaylee embodies what this show's like language was that yeah. the way she speaks is the way we didn't envision this universe as speaking and yep. mal does it too and it's interesting that yeah like you just said mal is the most cynical maybe the darkest character here and kaylee is the brightest most optimistic one um, and she but she makes you know i talk about Steve Rogers and Chris Evans manages to make humility seem so sexy, which seems impossible. Kaylee makes being a good, sweet person not only not cheesy, but extremely appealing and and able to do so in a very complicated, smart character, which it takes Simon a while to realize about her, you know, is that you can be cheery and optimistic, um, but, but be a a very complex person. And I I would dare to say that Kaylee, if you pulled all the Firefly fans out there, who their favorite character is, Kaylee would be pretty high on that list. I think. I would think so. Um, I which think says a lot about sorry. Saying, which says a lot about both Whedon and and Jewel State as Kaylee and the audience for this show. Absolutely, I think uh, to what you're talking about. If the character feels genuine, any set of characteristics is fine. Jane feels genuine, and he is a murdering guy who doesn't care about anything and is dumb. Kaylee feels genuine, and she is this real happy, optimistic, look on the bright side of life character. And you like both of them because yeah. they feel real. They don't feel like caricatures. They don't feel no. like, you know, two-dimensional figures. Yeah. They feel like people. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know how far you got my Serenity commentary, but for the BizzleCast listeners out there, if you haven't got to check it out, I say, you know, Mal's the perfect leading man. Uh, Summer Glau almost steals the movie from Mal, being sort of the secondary lead in what the movie's really about. You know, she also, Summer Glau was, I think, two or three years older uh, during the movie than the making of this, so she had matured sure. a lot as an actress, as great as she is here. Um, you know, the operative comes out of nowhere to be, like, an extremely compelling one- or two-dimensional villain, um, but... I think in some ways, Kaylee steals large portions of the movie with both her comedy and her human drama. I mean, the way she sells the relationship to Simon was so little, just like these little looks, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and and little awkward lines and, you know, her whole bit about, you know, had nothing twix my nethers for six months now, you know? She has the funniest lines in the movie, (laughs) which, you know, everybody is funny in the show, uh, even Zoe in just how straight, you know, her, her straight man, her delivery is, can be quite funny uh kaylee i think is really the funniest character in the movie and that was intentional by joss because the movie was an even darker version of of firefly that you know oh for sure and so i think that's maybe one of the reasons i don't like it quite as much as the show is it's not as funny you know maybe deliberately but i don't think the funniest episodes of firefly i think leave serenity in the dust yeah um i don't agree with that particular not the next one but yeah 
I, 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 it's it's apples to oranges. I mean, you know, there, there, there's a laugh every like two or three minutes in the movie, which for me, you know, again, right, you're comparing Serenity to Firefly when you should be comparing Serenity to any piece of sci-fi <laughs> or, or a genre film out there. Um, oh, look, oh, look at Wash. You see him closing his eyes. What was that? It's funny. So everything's green, of course. The giant floating apartment buildings, as I call them. Mm-hmm. Um, they really look like just cool alien ships that they turn 90 degrees in the wrong direction like yep. if they had just pointed it forward you know in space it doesn't matter how, you know if you're tall or, or or long you know because there's not much drag in the open vacuum of space but there's just something about the you know about sleek ships that uh uh, that, that's more appealing. This guy is such a douche. I read about him. I think he's actually has a comedy background and, and just loves casting his side characters, his dramatic side characters as comedy characters. Um, I think this is a nod to the Death Star, right? In the in New Hope, the tractor beam and everything. Um, uh, probably a little bit. Coming yeah. out of nowhere, you know, that's not a moon. It's a, it's a space station. Um, but, uh, you know, so, some of the, some of the, 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 the evil guys in both the movie and shows have, have a, have a community comedic background and you know it's the old adage that that if you're a good comedian you probably can act and it's not always true the other way around oh for sure i mean there are a lot of actors who can't who are not funny at all most of the actors who make it as comics can show range beyond that and i would argue that sean marr is one of those actors that ended up being funnier than maybe even whedon thought was possible in this in this i think so but we i mean yeah that's the thing. We, I think Whedon can that, help you sorry. get there. Whedon can help yes. you get there with his writing. Yeah. Yeah. Whedon is a really, really, really good writer. And I think a good actor and Sean Maher is a good actor yeah. can deliver a funny line if it's really well oh, written. That's and- what I wanted you to talk about, man. I loved your comment in the, the previous commentaries about how Whedon can go from action to comedy to action to comedy and it never feels forced and it always works tone wise. Mm-hmm. Could could you maybe talk about this a little bit more here? I'm, I know there's sure. a lot of comedy in this, although there is the interview scene coming up, which I want to tease, which is hysterical. Well, I think in this episode, we've already seen a couple of good examples of this, you know, where you have the setup of Jane telling Simon he needs him on the ship, uh, you know, and Simon is so nervous and you don't know what's going on and you haven't <laughs> seen anybody out of suit yet. <laughs> Sorry, so you what? think he is going to have to... Um, so you think he is gonna is he's gonna look, he's gonna fit right in, and then it turns out no, Jane was just playing him, and he starts laughing, and Jane changes the nature of the scene. But then five minutes later, it turns out there are mutilated bodies because of a raver attack. Yeah. So that's the tonal shifts that he pulls off without sacrificing an overall vision for the show. You know where it doesn't feel like you're watching two or three different shows. Yeah. Smush together, and this interview scene coming up, which was my favorite of the series. It not only switches on a dime to comedy, but within the scene is switching between comedy and drama. And there's some hilarity coming up with Wash and and, and Adam Baldwin in, in partic- particular as Jane. Um, these are the Starship Trooper suits, you know. And, and Serenity, we were teased very briefly with the Halo suits twice. That looks amazing, but I could understand right. why they weren't able to get those for the show. You know, that's the thing about the movie. It's like it's such a cock tease, as good as it is. You just want more. You want more for Firefly or Serenity. Look how they shoot right up on the face. This is a classic Whedon thing with both mm-hmm. heroes and villains. We, you talk 
talk about chins a lot, right? So, I mean, G- Whedon loves shooting up on chins. Um, he likes his actors with prominent chins. He's not afraid to do this. You don't really see this kind of shooting in any show. And then watch the way the camera, boom, tracks him, going to the side. Yep. I mean, this is a really difficult shot right here with all the characters in play. They, they might have had to do that a few times to get that right. Um, now, I, I don't find think... the lighting, sorry, real quick. Yeah. I find the lighting also very interesting in this where yes. each guy's one side of their face is shadow and then it's light. And when this guy turns around the way the camera tracks, so it switches, I don't think it's necessarily meant to symbolize anything, but it's striking. You know, no, I, people ask me, you know, from a filmmaking standpoint, they're like, other than like, you know, obviously like good writing, good directing, blah, blah, blah. Like, what are the most important things for you when you're watching? <laughs> <laughs> Junker settle down. Purple belly. There we go. <laughs> One guy for Jane. Um, and, and for me, from a sound point, it's to mm-hmm. make it sound live that if they're re-recording sound later that you can't tell. And in Whedon stuff, you can almost never tell. Here's, here's Inara's quarters, which could hide anything. That's what's great about this ship and that they weren't really able to take full, uh, um, uh, full use of until the movie. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I love this. He's not the first or last to use this kind of interviewing everyone at once thing. Inara is the perf- uh, perfect first person here. I'm going to turn this up a little bit. I hope it doesn't bleed over. Mm-hmm. You know, he's being trying to be respectful to, to her because he, his career could get screwed by her people, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what's great about Inara. She is the ace in the hole, and she pulls rank on Mal sometimes because she's more important than he is. Well, that's what he she tells him to get on this ship is you're going to take me at a quarter of your rental ra- normal that's rental right. rate because yep. I can open doors for you. Yep, I can teasing, bring. I uh, I don't remember what the word is, but I can bring <laughs> status to this ship. Oh wait, I'm sorry, my hair cups. He's your husband. Do you love him? I don't see your business. Yeah. Right. I'm looking for a pilot. I found a husband. Seemed to work out. Yeah. Followed but this is what I'm talking about. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here it comes. Fight with him sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. Don't see that's any of your business. <laughs> Here <it> comes. <laughs> the legs. <laughs> 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 the editing in this scene is spectacular that the ed- and above it <laughs> oh man i know you have mixed feelings about star wars we won't go into it but did you like k2 because the theater i was at was dying at all of his jokes yeah k2 was funny okay um, i love him but i thought he was amusing but alan I- tudyk does have great comedic timing there's no two ways yes. about it now that's junk she's talking about and this is a call forward to man our next episode together which i can't wait because we love shindig where she ends up being the life of the party by talking engine uh, engine parts (laughs) oh here it is (laughs) jane doesn't say anything (laughs) oh my god sorry man i didn't interrupt you on that (laughs) no that's fine this sequence does two things that really well one the editing of this of this section with these conversations and the way they segue into each other increases the comedy so much i mean it's funny just because of the way they segue from one to the other editing is not something i always notice but this is a really well edited moment and getting back to what i was talking about about shifting tones yes you have an interview sequence that's mostly funny i mean almost all the interviews are funny and right up until the end and then you kind of have this fairly suspenseful in investigation of the ship and then it gets back to horror as mal is being interviewed and again you're changing tones really quickly and you don't question why that's happening you buy that all the different tones are appropriate 
I, I just love, I, I mean, talk about character building, you know, where, where Zoe doesn't even want to give away one single thing about her relationship with Wash, and he's just like, her right. legs. And, and the thing is, Wash isn't intentionally throwing the guy off, you know, he's, he's being honest, which is what ma- it makes it such an effective way of throwing it off. You know, they all have this sort of, you know, when, when the, that's what's great about the Firefly clo- uh, crew, is that they, they, they differ in so many ways, and I love this scene here, um, but when it comes down to it, and, and their backs are against the wall, they always find a way to work together, even if they're not in the same room, you know what I mean? Like, there's just mm-hmm. that simpatico that you know that, that makes the ship work i mean this this crew should be dead a thousand times over in the show i guess that's the point of the show this is beautiful uh, listen to the music look how happy river is this is so important this is another reason i love this episode yeah. this is this is so key that she can have happiness mm-hmm. and this is teasing objects in space which I grouped this together with that just because of the importance <laughs> of River. Oh my God, Simon's about to throw sure. up. He, and look at her. She just wants to drift away. This sort of related to what I was talking about earlier about River needing to get away from people and her feeling most comfortable on the fringes because she mm-hmm. doesn't have all the psychic stuff going on in her head. When it's just Firefly crew, like in Serenity, she's been in their heads all the time, so she's pretty comfortable with it, you know? And, and uh, But when she gets stuck into to civilized situations like this, things, things don't end up going well for her. Mal putting an impossible place here i don't know as a captain like what you could possibly do this is i guess my biggest problem with this episode is is just sort of the MacGuffin or deus ex machina of the guy getting free accidentally um and that's what saves mal now it's yeah, possible that sure. he doesn't get free accidentally and that we're led to believe that maybe they let him go on purpose that would have been a cooler choice actually was for mal to realize the only way they were going to get away was to let that guy out accidentally quote unquote and then save it i don't know if i've ever thought about it that way before uh seems a, a little convenient i would say so actually what you're describing i think i probably would have liked it a little bit better is for him to pull a fast one on the alliance and basically force their hand by letting the guy out that would have actually been a little bit more yeah. clever um but this is important here look, too the war story stuff yeah sure that look uh, of rivers i I've, i pointed out before that they both her and sean mar have great facial acting ability and i think that's a great scene that that look of just pure joy of being out in space essentially by yourself uh you know it, it's like the first moment of true peace she's seen she's oh, yeah. had on this show so far yep um and that's a key too where oh, i'm sorry uh a, pl- a place where music is key some people aren't thrilled with the music of the new star wars we won't get into that now but that's a that's a place that tiny scene would have been moving it's silent but with that sort of uh spacey but it's sort of emotional music really hit mm-hmm. home how important that moment was both for river as a character and for us as an audience getting to know her as a character go ahead Definitely. Uh, one of the things uh, that I was kind of thinking with this episode uh, is, for the most part, it works. I, it just, I don't know, a little bit of it just doesn't quite hang right. And I yeah, think... this is one of those for me I- that... I'm sorry, man. This is one of those for me that I'm okay with the whole not being this not being greater than the sum of the like i love all the parts in this so i'm actually okay with the sum of the parts in this one because of all the, the character and world building stuff. But go ahead. I think we've Uh-oh. also established by now that you like darker tones as a yes. general rule a little bit more, maybe a lot more than I do. And this is just one of the really maybe the darkest episode of Firefly. And so it was yep. never going to speak to me quite as much as some of these other ones where yep. they are s- flying cattle through space or right. dancing or, you know, or right. pretending to be 
uh, hospital, you know, EMTs, those were always going to appeal to me sure. more. To your point about River feeling the most comfortable on the fringe, yep. one of the things I talked about, um, maybe even in the Serenity uh, commentary, is that um, one of the, Simon sees Mal and recognizes that Mal can see more in River than than Simon necessarily can. That Simon just sees the thing to be protected, and Mal can see a person that could actually fit in in this world. He even tells Simon at in that end scene. You could have a home out here if you want it. And I think that moment where she's out in space and Mm -hmm. she's at peace for the first time since we've met her Mm -hmm. speaks to that as well. Mm -hmm. That it goes back to that that notion that Mal maybe understands River in a way that even Simon doesn't or doesn't yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, but, but this sexy calls back to earlier in the episode where we thought Mal knew immediately that he was a reaver, and now he's acting like he just knows now that he's a reaver. Also, doesn't quite add up. Um, yeah, but right? um, but just for the record, as we go along with this show, I like shows with dark tones and dark themes and dark scenarios, but where we still have heroes that, while flawed, we are rooting for. And I think that's why you and I ultimately work, even though we do have different tastes. Uh, of some shows and movies and even within certain shows like firefly like some of our episode faves are a little bit different but we we do both want that you know heroes flawed but good-hearted heroes in the end i I just don't like shows where all the people are dark too you know that those are the shows i have trouble with and so i'm cool with a show like this where they're where they're forced into dark situations um Mm -hmm. and i think making the movie the darkest was the right move uh, personally, just to set the stakes. Um, and man, do they kill a lot of people in the movie. I know you talk about they don't kill a lot of people in the series after the first few episodes, but in the movie, a lot of people die. Um, oh, for sure. I don't know what's happened in the last 10 years. <laughs> Up until Rogue One, you know, you can't have a death in a PG-13 movie. That's that's <laughs> that's an all-important. Uh-oh, here we go. She can smell them or she can, you know, sense them or whatever. Yeah, that's... A, that's I think this goes back to my, my idea that she can just sort of... She has a psychic connection that maybe she doesn't even understand with the Reavers. That yep. there is just... Because the realization that the Alliance created the Reavers destroyed her sanity, basically. She is just connected to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe because they're crazy and she's crazy and she can kind of sense her own. I mean, she is crazy and violent... And they are crazy and violent, yep. which maybe she can relate to them on some level almost. They were both products of the Alliance in their own ways. Well, and that's why the retconning of the movie works so well, because then you can actually explain it as she had already, you know, been in the minds of the Reavers going back to her time in uh, at, at the Alliance. Um, oh God, what do you even call that facility? Brainwashing the- facility? Yeah, I, I mean, program programming mm. facility, maybe? And that's the thing I do really love about the uh, safe episodes coming up that you're going to be doing is the backstory with Zach Efron, which I didn't know about, which we'll get back to. Um, and I, I really love the, the young actors they have there and and the sort of... Uh, does that one... Does it go to a flashback of current Simon getting the secret messages from River in that episode and him trying to convince his parents that she's calling for help and them thinking that he's crazy? I love that. Yes. He gives away yeah, his the, fortune. He gets arrested. His dad basically tells him to fuck off. Yeah. Or he tells his dad to fuck off. It's a little bit of both. But yeah, that's that one where his dad bails him out of jail is the last flashback in that episode, I believe. Mm. Um, Here we go. A little suspense moment. 
Yeah, Whedon was definitely playing with it here. I think we got to give Whedon credit, given his background with Buffy, etc., for not indulging the horror stuff more. It was like he wanted to have one early on to set the tone, almost like a baseline. Like, okay, this is as dark as we're going to get, and then I'm going to back it off, and we're going to go in all these other directions. Um, yeah. And I do also think it was important, though, for them to find a creative way to be off, to be both on and off the Alliance's radar. So combination of this and uh, what happens um, in a couple episodes with um, with the Shepherd. Here's a guy. Oh, blood um, is the only way that they could survive because they're tagged like a million ways from Sunday. But because of this incident and because of the Shepherd and because of, I guess, Inara, those three things give them enough room to operate. Yep, kill them. Said, Boom. Yeah. I think maybe the other thing that gets to me is when you see what he does to his face where he just puts those little pins in himself or something. Yeah. Ultimately, the payoff of what he's done to mutilate himself, it for me, it just doesn't quite – it's not quite enough. It I, I get that he's messed himself up, but because this scene is so darkly lit and because what he does is not – all that much comparatively he's not wearing other people's skin for instance which is what zoe says reavers do in the uh pilot it just doesn't the horror doesn't quite translate and it doesn't pay off at the end the way i think the show the episode wishes it would you know uh, great ending now they're blowing up the ship but um all right we'll close and jump uh, into uh the next episode shindig uh, i will say though what i think I think I remember reading or hearing, or maybe this is just me knowing Joss, is that I think he wanted it darker and more disturbing. And like what they ended up with was like a compromise that they'd be willing to show on the network. I think I think the original idea was to have him even way more reaverish, like more like what we see in the uh, movies. I think um in some ways though this is more realistic because you could still see the guy's face in the movie they look like orcs you know so yeah, it's a little bit yeah it's not really clear how they turn into like you know orcs um or whatever but for me yeah the reaver aspect of this is really the least important part it's all about the river and, and uh simon stuff it's all about the interview scene which is amazing um and just sort of fleshing out the universe and man after a a uh, epic um pilot episode and then the train job which is epic it, only in that they had to try and pile you know two episodes worth into a single because the the fox wanted a new pilot and this which is really dark we get to a really really fun one and shindig so before we uh sign off and take a quick break and, and jump on shindig man any last comments on, on on this episode or where we are so far i would only say that most people who are fans of firefly will say that bushwhacked is probably one of the lower points or that the the two episode combo of train job and bushwhacked is not in maybe the weakest point in the series and that it only gets better from here. I really think uh, even Whedon kind of recognized whether he was saving the Alliance and Reaver plots for later seasons, or he just didn't like those plots anymore. Ultimately that stuff is not what makes Firefly memorable. Sure. It's not what makes it golden. Sure. You know, it's not what makes it sparkle and everything from here on out for the most part gets away from those that part of the narrative and that part of the mythology and the show gets much better because of it yeah um, i mean and, and i'll make this point for the last time because we're never going to deal with reavers again which is that you know <laughs> uh, for me i count the movie as as sort of the epic season finale but i really look at it as sort of a season a bridge season two um and because i love the movie as much as the, the show I, I like that they do tease the reaver stuff early because then if i'm watching all 14 episodes and then the movie 
it works as a giant story for me. Um, and, and there's really a lot of, I mean, pretty much all the episodes are standalone. There's no real serialization until we get to Ariel. And maybe that's something we'll start talking about, you know, is that, yes, in some ways, Ariel is more important for the movie than Bushwhack does. Because you could have had Reverse. Um, you could have had a movie, uh, let me put it this way. You could have made Serenity having never seen Reavers before, but you could yes. have never made Serenity without the Ariel episode and the fallout from Ariel, right? I would agree with that. And that's what I think yeah. hurts Bushwhacked as well, is that it's ultimately, it doesn't add anything yeah. to the narrative of the Reavers, the Alliance, the Brown Coats. Okay. All right. You know, well, even the message adds more to it than that, you yeah, know? Yeah, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on this particular point. But we love Shindig, so thank you, Bizzlecast listeners, and we'll see you in the next episode. All right, cool. Awesome. That went well. Well, well done, sir. Thank you. No problem.